0: Heavenly Father, thank you again for this privilege of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for the inspired canon of Scripture. Thank you for giving us the Word of God. Thank you for delivering us with it. Thank you for your Spirit's ministry in our lives. Thank you for this truth that sets us free for Christ Himself, set us free for a reason, for a purpose, so that we could enjoy said freedom May we not end up back in bondage, but with this newly minted gospel, may we take it out to a a lost and dying world, Father. It's just so desperate out there, Father. And uh, Whatever little piece we might fit or however we might fit in the greater puzzle that is yours and yours alone, uh, we are grateful for that opportunity. So thank you, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Again, this message title is titled Seven Years... um, Hold on a second. Seven Years and Seven Months. Uh, It'll make a little bit more sense once we get going so i want to begin with a little numerology uh, i'm not i don't spend too much time on it typically but uh... there's a certain mathematics in the bible that is undeniable uh... in the number seven is really the largest number probably the most important uh, if we'd like to assign that kind of a tag to it the most important number is the number seven, so I'm going to borrow from a book by E.W. Bullinger on the number seven. Seven is the great number of spiritual perfection, a number which therefore occupies so large a place in the works and especially in the Word of God as being inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the number seven is the great number of spiritual perfection. Now, Here's a question for you. Does anyone know how long this ministry has been around, starting with our first building? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Seven years and seven months up here on the board. Just a little history here. And it is our beloved deliverance. EBC, which was used by a Bible church, FICM, Freedom in Christ Ministries, and North Christian Church, or NCC, combined to complete a seven-year and seven-month journey. That's how long it took to deliver this congregation unto the completed gospel message. So you may not see it the way I see it, but this is exactly how I see it. I see it as this... Very long, laborious exercise. Now, some of you are like, it didn't seem that bad to me. <laughs> it's been a very long, laborious exercise. Trust me. And just so happens it's seven years and seven months. So I'm just reflecting here a little bit. As I intimated in my own human insecurities in the past, as exciting as my continuing to shepherd this flock is, I sometimes wonder, frankly, what's left? I mean, what's left? After after we are delivered unto the gospel proper, and I'm convinced that this entire book is the gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So to me, this is the the pinnacle. So if you reach the summit, you know, what's the largest mountain? Is it still uh, Everest? So you reach the summit of Everest and you're a a climber. What do you do? (laughs) So I'm just speaking in human terms. And it's interesting because I say... Geez, what do we do now? We have the gospel. We spent 117, that ended in seven as well, 117 lessons on getting this congregation to where it needed to be, where it was never before. But please don't read too much into my statements here. It's just the following up here on the board. It's time to take a deep breath. We're at one of those moments in time after a really long, hard-fought battle. It's just one of those times in life, and when it's all over, the warrior doesn't always know how to live off of the battlefield. When he says, all right, good, you've completed that, that course of action. It's been wonderful, seven years and seven months, 117 lessons to get this congregation right where I need them. And it's just been a battle. Battle after battle after battle. And when he says take a breath, honestly, I don't know how always. Even taking off Tuesday nights and Wednesdays for the Bible study, that wasn't easy for, and I say this with humility, a warrior like myself, someone that's just geared up to fight, So I want you to know, as the man commissioned to keep track of our overall curriculum, when I look back on the past seven years and seven months of labor, I see a grand journey that was embarked upon with increasing humility. And along the way, we lost members of our beloved congregation, but we picked up more as well. I look back and I see God's fingerprints all over this congregation, in this church now sitting on a hill. I see a group of believers that refused to give up on God's plan for their lives. And although there are many uh, bruises handed out from this pulpit, those same people never gave up on the journey. I know it hasn't been just difficult on me. I can see your faces and your body language and whatever. (laughs) Sometimes venom. So there's been a lot of bruises and uh, people never gave up. And that, my friends, is a tip of my hat to all of you. Trust me, if anybody in here knows what this battle has been like, it's been me. It was me all alone when this thing started. So that is a tip of my hat to all of you that regardless of how either you or I have failed each other along the way, at least we can say we remain fundamentally humble to truth. Amen? Go to Luke 11.9. Luke 11.9. I mean, this is what it's all about, my friends. You could climb Mount Everest tomorrow and it wouldn't even compare. It wouldn't even compare to what we've just been through. Not even close. Who cares about Mount Everest? Really. I care about the Gospel. And so do you. Luke eleven nine. 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Well, I can honestly say that we have sought truth here, and we have found it, my friends. Seeking isn't a straight line, is it? Ask anyone that's got to navigate woods or any kind of atmosphere. Seeking's not always a straight line. You kind of go over there, and then you're over there, and then you get mud on your shoes, and you fall down, and you, you know curse a little bit, and you shake yourself off, and then you start going, your, your compass is screwed up for a while because somebody's got a magnet in their pocket, and you, go, you think you're going north over there, and you find out you, you're really going west, And but you keep seeking. You don't turn around and go back. You don't leave a little, you know, the breadcrumb tra- trail. Just in case, you just go forward. Jesus Christ said the person who looks back is not worthy of the kingdom once they put their hand to the plow. So this is all I can say is that we just kept plugging on. And seven years and seven months later, after 117 lessons, the only ones that exist on the website now, here we are. So, I can honestly say that we have sought truth and we have found it. And every bump and every bruise has been worth it. And I pray you all feel the same. When I look out at you all, I cannot help but echo Paul's sentiments to the Philippians. Go to Philippians 2 1. Philippians 2 1. I know this isn't a unique feeling for a shepherd, hardly. I know it's not a unique situation for sheep, hardly. But it is what it is, and we ought to step back sometimes when he says it's okay to take a deep breath and revel in God's grace. Philippians 2.1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So, when I look out and I think of all of you this way, even in light of the very worst times in my life spent fighting for you, often behind your backs even, fighting off the wolves, or in some cases fighting with you. When I look out and think of you, my heart is with Paul, who wrote to this same group of Philippians later on in the same epistle. Go to Philippians 4.1. Philippians 4.1. And I'm not joking you. This is not Pastor Ed trying to get you to some I don't know, re- emotional, you know, rejoicing. This is me being totally transparent. This is me telling you, I mean, it's going to be wondrous to see where he takes us, but we're at the peak. It doesn't get any better, I guess, than, than the Gospel. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, that was Paul's attitude. That is my attitude towards this congregation I mean, what else do I have in all of you? You're my joy and my crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you're only able to understand one thing about me, I beg it be this, that I love you, all of you. I have fought hard for you by grace in humility. And I have watched you delivered unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. And nothing is sweeter for a shepherd like me. And that is my adoration for all of you. We made it to the peak, my friends. This isn't the end of the road. There are other mountains. There are a lot of people in the valleys that we need to come down from the mountain and say, you got to go up, my friend. You got to take this trek. But I'm just saying, from my perspective, after all of this work, seven years and seven months, we arrived at the gospel. And we got it right. So I confess (laughs) that God's going to have to find yet another way to, quote, top himself. And of course, I'm speaking like a man on purpose. I'm just trying to say I fear ad nauseum at this point that arriving and living in this gospel reality is the closest thing to heaven on earth to me. And having you with me is just sublime. Amen? And this is what it's all about, my friends. It does not get any sweeter than knowing, and living in the gospel. With that said, allow me to review Tuesday's lessons quickly, and then we can get on to business, adding to the seven years and seven months already behind us. Let's begin with a passage that wraps around one of the key verses from Tuesday's message. And as we do so, picture our leaving this long journey unto the gospel, never untethering ourselves from it. Never, ever untethering ourselves from this gospel, ever. But rather, as we press on with the likes of the Great Commission, even, let us embrace the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that He is our perfect Master, and that He loves us so very much. Appear on the board. May we never depart from the supreme intimacy of the gospel. Go to John fifteen one. May we never depart from the supreme intimacy of the gospel. John fifteen one. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me, and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law, They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. You know who understood true intimacy? Jesus understood true intimacy. If you read John 15 and you don't have a sense of intimacy, then you're a rock. I'm the vine, you're the branches? You can't do anything good without me? You are my friends. I've laid down my life for you. Jesus understood true intimacy. Don't ask me why he's having me do this, but as a side note, for you sex junkies out there, Consider the fact that Jesus never had sex, yet he understood personal intimacy and love more than anyone who's ever walked the face of this earth. If you're one of these people who thinks that the pinnacle of love and intimacy is sex, you are flying in the face of holy scripture. On holy intimacy, God is love. There's nothing more intimate and eternal than God's love. We are able to experience His love supernaturally. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. We just learned at the close of part 117, there's not even going to be any sex or that kind of thing in heaven. So you either think God's ripping us off, (laughs) or the Bible's true. Let's synthesize a bit further. God isn't just love. He's also eternal life. Therefore, if God is love and eternal life, and His attributes are inseparable, then love and eternal life are from the same wellspring. That is the very essence of God. And at salvation, you were given eternal life. This was not a physical transformation, my friends. Just like true love really has nothing specifically to do with physical expression like sex. Nothing. The greatest intimacy and the greatest love cannot have anything to do with those things. So just to drive this point home, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but the Spirit wants you to think of these things. Jesus never had sex. Paul, as far as we know, after his conversion, never had sex. Neither were deprived of the greatest love and intimacy. In fact, one might argue that they were spared the, quote, distraction of having sex. Not that the temptation wasn't present. So we need to think about intimacy. The reason I bring that up is because what does the world say about intimacy? I'm so heartbroken, honestly. Man, I hate to say this the wrong way, so please don't take this the wrong way, but I'm so grateful to my Father in Heaven that I didn't have girls. Girls, you're killing me, not you. I'm speaking to the world. They're killing me. I look around and I say, oh my goodness gracious, are you kidding me? Girls, what are you doing? They think that sex is intimacy and love, and they could not be further from the truth. And that's what the world is propagating. They're saying, oh no, Satan says, no, this is true intimacy. And God's saying, how could it be? I don't have sex and I am intimacy. I am love. I am eternal life. How could it possibly be those things? <clears throat> but the world is teaching our children, and sorry guys, but the girls are the ones that have been killing me for a long time. There's no virtue anymore. They're being taught all the wrong things about intimacy. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's just flat out heartbreaking. So if you have young ladies in your life Get them the gospel. Get them to Christ. Get them straightened out. Take them under your wing. Whatever it takes because it's just awful out there. Enough of that sidebar on true intimacy. After all of our good work on the gospel, salvation, and sanctification, the Spirit plopped us right on the Great Commission. He says, good, great. You been to the you been to the mountain peak, have you? Wonderful. Remember I was your guide. I, I was pushing you up even. I was encouraging you. I was your spiritual compass. Do you remember? I know where you've been. Now you have the Great Commission. What are you gonna do? So the Spirit has plopped us right on this idea of the Great Commission, which makes total sense. It's not like God to get a group of believers all fired up about the gospel and then walk away without some direction being given from the pulpit. What the Spirit said to this seven-year, seven-month-old congregation is up here on the board regarding the Great Commission. Finish the sentence. Finish the sentence. Don't just go out and, quote, win souls. That's a great endeavor, of course, but continue with Jesus' guidance. Do you think, honestly, do you think Jesus would just like say adios? Paul didn't do it. That's where we got all the letters. Scott mentioned this on Tuesday. That's where we got all the letters. He was circling back around. When's the last time you circled back around with somebody you think you've saved? Where are they now? Some of you are saying, I have no idea. I just have this notch in my belt. Encourage new converts to seek a place of learning. For example, like this one. We have open seats. Even on Sundays we still have some open seats. And if we need more, we'll put more in the back. And if we need more than that, then we'll put all the new people on the couches. They'll love it here. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Go to Matthew 28, 18. So the Spirit put us on this great commission, and on Sunday. Some of you are probably a little bit taken aback, but that's good. He said, finish the sentence. He said, I know what some of you are doing, running out, running around, evangelizing. That's all good, but um, let's finish the sentence, shall we? Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, quote, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We had that wonderful thing happen on Sunday, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A lot of people stop at verse 19, but what about verse 20? Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You cannot do that in a single evangelical setting in one day, let's say. So, up here in the board, relative to teaching and teachers. Jesus commanded the Great Commission. He also gave the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach us. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God and the spiritual gifts to teach us by. For example, pastors and teachers. You have one of each. I don't believe that every person has one gift, by the way. I don't know where that came from garbage doctrine, but we have a pastor and we have a teacher here who's also an evangelist. So who inspired these gifts? God the Holy Spirit. The same one who inspired the Word of God. The same one who was sent by Jesus Himself, our Lord and Savior, to help us. What you see if you read the whole Of Scripture is just what I have just written for you on the board here. Simply put, the Great Commission demands we go out and save and teach the lost. Not just quote unquote evangelize them. I'm I'm with um, hopefully with you, and I believe that there's a lot of um, evangelical type activities that go on, uh, especially in our own country, that are just vapid, I guess, void of what cause even? What are they doing it for? So the Great Commission demands we go out and save and teach the lost, and to complement that effort, Jesus ensured this would be possible by giving the Spirit, who in turn enables spiritual gifts of teaching. Now that's a direct connection between the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20 and the equipping of the saints in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 Teaching and teachers. Same spirit. Teaching and teachers. Teaching them all that I've given you. Teachers are there to equip you in that effort. Both by the Holy Spirit. As I've taught you many times in the past, God always proceeds His commands with grace in context. Now concentrate, please, because I don't want you to miss this point. In context, and context is key, and I've taught you this, your life has context. Everyone in here has a different context to life, but you have a common one right now, don't you? You're sitting here. You're a member of this congregation, so you all have a common context. And whatever comes from this pulpit is that common context. So in context, and this is specific to North Christian Church, because every congregation has a di- is a different stage of spiritual growth, remember. In context, what the Spirit's been saying is that we here at North Christian Church ought not only evangelize the lost. Not only, but as Sunday and Tuesday's lessons highlighted, we ought to assume a vested interest a vested interest in the whole Great Commission, utilizing all of the faculties of the Holy Spirit in doing so. So let me give you this to think about up here on the board. A vested interest. Each person evangelized must be considered a potential for personal assignment. That's your heart. It may be an impossibility sometimes. Whatever. Let's... Let's stay with the general rule. Don't be an idiot like the sophomore. Go looking for all the corner cases to try to disprove the general case. We're working on a general case. Your heart is to look for that person who you've just evangelized and make that person a vested interest. I mean, the Bible says, especially, right? Especially. It's not a misprint. A new convert is just about the best investment opportunity you'll ever be given. Okay, so here's an example. Okay, I can go out and I can make more friends with the world, or make more money, or make whatever. Or, I can spend my time and energy investing in other people that need me. Only 24 hours in a day, you decide, right? You're the one that makes priorities in your life. I can either do this in Satan's world, or I can do this for God's kingdom. Which one am I going to invest in here? A new convert is just about the best investment opportunity you'll ever be given. The greatest investments we can ever make are in our relationships with others. Starting with Christ, frankly. But others. Others. Didn't Jesus just say that in John 15? Oh, we love the woman, fuzzy of Jesus. Oh, I'm the vine. He's the vine. I'm a branch. And I just imagine myself in, in Jesus' arms right now. I can't wait till heaven. And then he says, hey, greater love is knowing than this. And he laid down his life for others. My command to you, love others the way I loved you. Uh-oh. Er, er, er. just going to jump up his lap here. Got a little cold, a little frigid. Some of you might be saying, and I have to deal with the sophomores, well, what about large crusades and such? How can one person have a relationship with so many? And I respond, exactly. What about large crusades? What about 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people crusades? What about them? If there's not some kind of support program after this so-called crusade, then one must wonder about the viability of the so-called crusade. What you need to understand is what the Spirit is saying to you personally, everyone in here, you personally, from this pulpit specifically your life as a context, you are here for a reason. Remember, I am not specifically teaching the same things any other pastor is teaching. You have to remember that. Seven years and seven months. To put this into perspective, you saw a very powerful message from a one Paul Washer last Thursday. But that was literally given 14 years ago to another audience. 14 years ago to another audience. So gather your perspectives. Ask yourselves in all honesty, if you personally had heard that message 14 years ago, Would you have been open to it? Would you? Or would you have possibly said, Poo poo on you, I dismiss you? (laughs) Some of you laugh because you know that's you. Probably would have been me. I'd have been, look at this guy. He probably doesn't even have his doctrines correct. What an idiot. God the Holy Spirit needed, listen, please. God the Holy Spirit needed to prepare and cultivate your soil. So stop looking, oh, well, you know, Anthony over here, he's like a slow poke. I was ready like 10 years ago. I could have totally heard that. I would have been like, yeah, go Paul watcher, yeah. <laughs> God the Holy Spirit needed to prepare and cultivate your soil so that you'd be ready for such a message. And now here's the kicker. (laughs) And this is just an observation, so don't take this the wrong way. Just an observation from your shepherd. The familiarity phenomenon. There have been many lessons given on the gospel over this past year. 117 parts, right? You know how many hours that is? 117. 117 hours of Class A teaching. Okay. They have been incredibly timely and well-placed. Yet, sometimes it takes another man, an unknown one, to grab my own sheep's attention. Can you believe that? What if you were me? (laughs) If you're a parent, you know exactly. I mean, this happens all the time, right? My kids would come home, and they'd be like, ah, Dad, so-and-so said this. It was awesome. I'm like, man, I've been teaching that for like a decade. Doesn't matter. Like Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, except where? In his own hometown. Who cares? Who cares? It's just a familiarity phenomenon that happens. And that video, my friends, let me tell you, was the capstone of all. And just so you know, I am not in any way upset at all with any of you for having to (laughs) have another gentleman from a 14-year-old video sort of, you know, do that thing, and everybody's like, Did you see that video? Oh, my God. Pastor, it was the best. Oh, I'm saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> Seriously. I've been teaching it. I just finished 116 lessons. <laughs> right? I don't care, though, because you know what? It happened. Amen? It actually happened. Some of you are just slow. <laughs> I know what the real reason is, honestly. It's familiarity. Absolutely, it's familiarity. And and God, the Holy Spirit, knew it. So he said, give him this thing. So I want you to know, from the bottom of my heart, I'm not upset at all by it. But maybe some of you, now listen, maybe some of you ought to be in some sort of way. Because your familiarity is not my problem. Your familiarity is nothing I can ever control, ever. And I know that your familiarity is something that you have to think about that maybe you've become familiar with your shepherd maybe you're even a little dull of hearing in any case here is what scripture tells guys like me go to 1 Corinthians 3:6 1 Corinthians 3, six. i want you to know that i'm not upset at all i kind of laugh about it I'm used to it now. It happened with another guy, uh, Francis Chan, same thing. Big upheaval. Oh, my God, this guy's amazing. Yeah, he's been teach- he's te- teaching the same stuff I've been teaching for a long time. But it takes a certain someone else sometimes because people get familiar with guys like me. DJ, I could trounce him up here right now. He'd say it to all of you, to your face, with probably more conviction than I'm telling you because I'm a little embarrassed to speak like this. But he would say, that's exactly what it is, Pastor. They're all familiar with you. The more faithful you've been over the years, the more familiar they've become. Amen, DJ? Yeah. If I was some crackpot, maybe you'd listen more. I'm serious. Maybe if I was some pathetic loser that stood behind his pulpit, drunk, or out of my gourd, or PO'd at the world, or with some chip on my shoulder or trying to prove something or trying to fill seats with sorted for the sake of sordid game, maybe then you'd listen to me. Probably. It's goofy, right? It's goofy. But I don't report to you I will remain faithful for as long as he calls me to be that way and if you become familiar, that's between you and the Lord. What else can I say? I have scripture. That's why I'm kind of laughing and you guys are kind of like Look at 1 Corinthians 3.6. I believe this. You know why? Because this is scripture. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So who cares about Paul or Apollos? doesn't matter. We all die eventually, right? But the word Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Hey, listen, if God said to me, I hope he doesn't, by the way, but if God says to me right now, I want you to go stand in the corner over here, remove the plant, go stand in the corner and just repeat the gospel. No, just repeat Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Just keep repeating that to a wall for the next year. If I had to do it, Then I'd have to do it. And you know what? I would look at verse 8 and say, I was obedient. I'm good. My rewards, so to speak, are in check. My joy is in following Him. So I guess what I'm saying regarding the observation on the board is this. I don't really care about who is able to get through to you from my perspective. My love transcends any pettiness. I just want you to be delivered. I just want you to fall in love with Christ the way I love him. I just want you to live in the gospel reality. So what do I care if I have to get off the pulpit on a Thursday evening and say, listen to this guy from 14 years ago? And some of you are like, (laughs) He's not laughing because some of you are like, I kind of did that. I don't really care about who is able to get through to you. What matters is that you are delivered in the end. If I have to literally labor to exhaustion for almost a year to implant the gospel message in you, and then along comes a 14-year-old message from another pastor that is able to stir you into action, then I say, so be it. This isn't about me or any other shepherd. It's about God's glory. Amen? Amen. However, (laughs) even with that said, because of my objective love for you, I don't want you to become familiar with this church, this pulpit, or this pastor. To do so is to your own loss. I don't want you to become familiar with this church, this pulpit, or this pastor. To do so is at your own loss. All right. Enough on that little sidebar. Back to the main point of this lesson, what to do after seven years and seven months of deliverance unto the gospel. So let me get started with a little parable that I made up. Suppose your blood brother or sister were reported to be lost in New York City and the reports are that other residents are attacking them, maybe beating them, maybe mistreating them. Okay. Will you not drop everything and go and pull them out of that situation? Well then, why is it any different for brothers and sisters in Christ? Why is it not even more appropriate? The things we'll do for our earthly families... Will we not do even more? What did Jesus said? The person doesn't hate his father, mother more. Can't follow me? But yet we seem to do just about everything for our blood relatives. Some of them aren't even saved. And very little or nothing with the ones we're going to spend all of eternity with. How does that work? as Scripture says, as we've seen, Galatians 6.10 appear on the board. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Melista is the Greek word for especially, from "mala," which means very much, very much the case. Particularly so, especially, mostly so, exceedingly. But we have problems, don't we? We have partiality issues, but, you know, it's, it's, it's my brother from, you know, in the blood, and it's like, yeah, but what about your brother in the family of God? Go to James 2.1. James also addressed this issue in light of the doctrine of partiality. Partiality. Why wouldn't we? Because we're partial. Because we like to leave the doors at this church and we like to stop facing the mirror and we forget about what we saw. We forget about it. And then we go right back to our lives. You say, but I like these people more. Yeah. Yeah. James 2, one, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of what? personal favoritism for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit down by my footstool have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives listen my beloved brethren Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? These same people say to hell with Jesus and you're in bed with them. Figuratively speaking, sometimes literally. Unbelievable. But let's move on. Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors up here in the board again especially to those who are the household of faith that's Melista it means exceedingly particularly so especially those mostly those. Evangelist Grandi brought out a wonderful point for all of you to consider and it makes me think personally of the profundity of what Joey and I are about to see in India up here on the board, who to honor? We believers need to change our perspective. We, especially in America, have been trained by the world to honor the beautiful and the rich. Now, if you're either one of these things and you're right with Christ, whatever—that's not the point. The problem is with the the eye of the beholder, the idolater. What are wait till you see Saturday's blog? we've been wrong period no exclamation point we've been wrong just think about it just think about it right now you know uh, I don't know Michael Phelps walks in the in the church right I don't know if he's a believer let's let's pretend we don't even know and then a very well known believer walks in who's maybe, you know, kind of having a rough go at it. I'm, on a, I'm willing to bet that everybody would flock to Michael Phelps. Is that Michael Phelps? Oh my God. Oh my God. Right? And then all the, all the ladies would turn to like little girls. <laughs> right? And then the other person's like, yeah, I just wanted a little fellowship. guess I don't compare to some Olympic king. You know what? We're, we're, not, we're not even a little wrong. America's horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. Before we close, I just want to share another thought I've had over the past year. And it's one of those that sort of build up momentum over time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the Spirit just sort of impresses it upon you. Then he kind of leaves you alone. Then he comes back and you read some more scripture. And he kind of pushes it in a little bit more. And he says, I know if I give it to you all right now, you're going to flip out. He kind of kneads the dough a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? And then before you know it, he's got a nice little something. This is one of those points. I'm tired of, quote, unquote, and I don't literally do this, hence the quotes. I'm tired of apologizing for the stark words found in the Bible. Seriously. What do you want me to do? You want me to belittle Jesus Christ's words so that, what, my friend isn't offended? Your friend isn't offended? Especially those made by Jesus that seem to, quote, offend our contemporary sensibilities. By not defending my Lord's honor in every possible way, what am I saying to the world? If I say, you can have the great seat right here. I know that you think Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, is crap. But you can sit in my nice, good seat at the head of the table, and I'm going to dishonor the person who doesn't offend my sensibility or whatever. I mean, that person is literally saying, in your own home... Jesus Christ, and you're sitting there going, it's good, it's all good, it's all good, you're my boss, I'm going to get a promotion someday, i got to stay in good with you, you're my buddy, you might be able to get me tickets to the next Rod Stewart gala, <laughs> all right, maybe not Rod Stewart, I was just going by Melissa, you know? she said she likes his hair, his feathered look. What are you saying to the world? I don't know. So I'm here to tell you, my friends, it's dishonorable to show any kind of partiality. And it's horrifically grotesque to show honor to an unbeliever over believers in Christ. It's grotesque. This is something the Bible is quite clear on. But that's not the only kind of partiality, is it? Of course not. There's a partiality that exists in the churches even, something I've seen in this church even, albeit less than other churches I've been to. Go to, uh, quickly, we're almost out of time, Um, go to 1 Corinthians 12.20. We're going to go really fast. So that's not the only kind of partiality in James 2. There's another kind of partiality that happens even in the church. Or the churches plural, First Corinthians twelve twenty, but now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Up here on the board, this came out on Tuesday, Isaiah fifty five eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The weaker ones are the vital organs. But they're not necessarily standing up behind the pulpit even. This is a unique gift. So if I mess it up, my mouth, mm. But take this gift or teaching gifts out of the equation. Think of every other possible spiritual gift. The ones that are seen, the ones that are not seen. This is what was going on in Corinth. In, in Corinth. And Paul said, what are you doing? The ones that you don't even see, they're the vital organs. Can anybody, does anybody see my liver right now? My kidneys? How about my heart? What if my heart was junk? I'd be dead, right? But man, I got a good shave. I got my soul patch back. I'm doing good. Everybody's like, ooh, yeah." yeah. This is what I tell myself. <laughs> right? But you can't see my vital organs. And those vital organs are spiritual gifts in the church. So if we're going to really spend any time on honoring anyone, honor the ones that you know, aren't even seen, that are vital. But that's still not his point. He's just trying to balance the scales in Corinth. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, you see. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So, in closing, let's not give the devil an opportunity to divide us up. L- look, we are a, quote, dangerous crew at this point, and the targets on our backs got bigger than ever. They're bigger than ever. Why? Why? Because we have the gospel. And now he's got us on the Great Commission. So in closing, may I just reiterate our message title up here on the board? Seven years and seven months. My beloved, you have been delivered up to the gospel. You know it now. You've seen the scripture. You understand it. Now go live it. Go live it. And don't fake it till you make it. Do as the Spirit convicts you. Remain obedient to the Lord and His under-shepherd, which is me. Learn to embrace each day as something new and fresh. Invest in others, for that, my friends, is true love. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your Word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take it out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Thank you.